0: It's a privilege to worship and see all the different ways that people worship. Singing, of course, praising, of course, running for some of us. I don't do a lot of running anymore, but I'm glad to see other people run. That's how I feel about it. (laughs) So for watching other people run. I don't know if you've heard of 26-year-old Sean Clancy. He's from Lowell, Massachusetts, but he walked across the United States in 2022 Now, a lot of people have done this, or at least dozens of people have walked across the United States before, and they usually raise money for causes or some kind of nonprofit or something like that. He did that too, I think, but he had another kind of detail to make his trip unique. He decided, I'm only going to eat at Subway restaurants the entire time. So he starts here in Lowell. He's making his way across America, going from Subway to Subway, or at least mile by mile, having to be somewhere close to a Subway so he can walk in and get something to eat the entire time. That's how he did it, in part. That's pretty unique. I don't know that that'd be my choice. More than 200 years ago, totally different type of trip, Captain Meriwether Lewis, Lieutenant William Clark, a few dozen men, Sacagawea, you probably have heard the story. They leave St. Louis, they go all the way to Oregon and California, and come all the way back. It's like 8,000 miles. It was the opposite experience. There were no subways 200 years ago. They're out there with like a boat and like pushing the boat through the water with a paddle or even a big, long pole. They're having to encounter people that speak other languages, of course. They're having all these experiences because they're exploring a totally unknown America to them, even though there's lots of people groups living there. They're just going through this whole experience, totally different. Also, an interesting fact about them, They decided they really needed a huge Newfoundland dog. I don't know if you've seen these before, but it's like a very big, long-haired, shaggy dog. They bought one for $20, which 200 years ago was quite a bit of money, and they named this dog Seaman. So they were like, we just need Seaman to be our dog. It's $20. He's a big Newfoundland. They were excited to make this trip with this dog. Sean Clancy is looking for a restaurant. Lewis and Clark and the team, they're trying to find a river that will flow from the center of the United States all the way to the West Coast to improve travel and commerce. And along the way, they're looking at plants and animals and trees and meeting people and all kinds of stuff like that. I don't think Sean Clancy got lost because he was trying to go from subway to subway. It was 2022. I don't know if Lewis and Clark's group got lost or not. I feel like they probably did since they're just kind of exploring an unknown area of themselves. There's these bumper stickers and T-shirts and things, even like spare tire covers on Jeeps that say not all who wander are lost. I feel like that's probably like really hard for a Sean Clancy to do from subway to subway for Lewis and Clark's group. Probably pretty easy to seem like they're wandering, probably pretty easy to get lost. I would guess maybe we could modify that and say like not all who wander always get lost or all who wander sometimes get lost. I'm not sure. There's some sort of middle ground for the rest of us. Well, there's another group that took a huge trip, probably encountered unknown places, unknown people, unique situations, and it's the group that we were talking about this morning with our children. It's the Magi, who leave where they're going, leave where they live, go to somewhere else, and they had to stop and ask for directions one time. This is in Matthew chapter 2, 1 through 12, and I think they get their own clever saying. If if we now say, not all who wander are lost... We would say for these three, uh, sorry, these wise men, not all who wander worship, but they do. And I don't know if you had that sense as we gathered together with Angela's playing and her encouragements to us about the year to come and the songs in general, just helping us think about worship, just helping us think about this God who comes close, this opportunity to say to Him, You, Jesus, are the center. You, Jesus, are the reason why we worship. You, Jesus, are the one we're singing to. It's about you. It's him that has the body that was broken for us, the blood that was shed for us. Not all who wander worship, but this morning we really had an incredible chance. And I invite you to read along in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. These verses say Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? for from you will come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went on ahead of them until it came to a stop over the place where the child was to be found." When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after they came into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And after being warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. If you're looking for the king you'd go to the capital city, right? The capital of a country. It's kind of where you expect the king to be. And you might say, well, now this baby king, though, this is a baby we're talking about. He's not going to be on the throne. Well, I think the babies would, baby future kings, would even be in the capital city because that's typically where the resources are. Good schools, the army to protect them, businesses with better foods, medical care maybe. All the good things are in the capital city a lot of times, or the best things are in the capital city, so it makes sense to send a royal child there. Now, normally, the royal future leader would be educated and cared for and honored and respected, but here what happens? Well, Herod is bent out of shape about it. The whole city of Jerusalem apparently is all upset. They're troubled. My Bible says, I'm not sure what word yours had, but, but they're troubled. They're having a negative response. They don't want to nurture the child. They don't want to care for the child. There's just trouble. So the Magi come to the city, but the, but the God of the Bible that they don't really know redirects them to Bethlehem. And it's, it's bizarre, really, that this happens because they'd traveled hundreds of miles, but the Jews that they're talking to won't even go five miles. That's about how far Bethlehem is from Jerusalem, and it wasn't a direct route. It wasn't just a few exits off of six, but still, it's only five miles to get to Bethlehem, and they won't go. And it leaves me wondering, how could the king not travel five miles? He, I mean, he says to the Magi, go and make a careful search find this child come back to me tell me where he is so that i can come worship him too it's like man it's five miles like wouldn't you just make the trip yourself i mean you're the king like you could like get the horses you probably got like a royal carriage soldiers to go in front of you and clear the way you could be there in like five minutes just wouldn't you just do this you're the king why does he need to make the i mean why why, why tell the magi to make a careful search like how hard is this I mean, I know we didn't have Google, but still, like, this is pretty easy to figure out five miles away. It's like you and me showing up at somebody's house. They're watching the latest Netflix show, and they're like, oh, I'm just about to start a new episode. I've really wanted to watch that, you say. Oh, good. Sit down. Let's watch it. I'm starting it now like my thumb is over the play button. No, 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 no. You watch it. You tell me what it's all about. Figure out the plot twists and the characters and all the things that happen, and then text me, and I'll come back over later and watch it. You tell me when. Well, no, no, I'm watching it now. No, 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 you go. You watch it, pay attention to the show, you know, get all the notes, text it to me later. This is bizarre. This is bizarre behavior. Herod's angst, his troubled heart, his refusal to do the obvious, they reveal something's going on here. The birth of Christ is a treasure to some people and a trouble to others. Herod's answer to his troubles is murder and mayhem and misery. I won't spend all morning talking about it, but this is a dysfunctional guy who decided with his family and his enemies and his political rivals and anybody else that kind of got him upset, he was like, I'm just going to take those people out. I'm just going to get rid of them, murder, mayhem, misery. And that's what evil people always do. They get internally disrupted and decide, I think I'll just hurt somebody. I think I'll just wreck somebody else's life. And that's how Herod goes about this thing. But this shows us what a wonderful Savior Jesus is because he went to trouble on our behalf. He entered the mayhem and the misery and the craziness, and he entered all that pain and all that dysfunction and all that brokenness, and he took it on himself. That's why we remember him even today with communion. This is why he comes and he says, Look, anybody who follows me have life and life to the fullest. And it's why the wise men rejoiced when they saw Christ. They realized this person right here is for me. This person right here can offer me something that will change my life forever. This is worth the trip. We don't understand that king who had like a royal you know, entourage could have just like paved his way right up here. We don't get why he won't come. He, as you can see, of course, they may not have got it, but he was troubled. He was anxious, and he was ignorant. So what did he do? Well, this is life advice right here. Get like the most religious people in a room that you can. Like just get a, and and I'm not meaning that disrespectfully, you'll see where I'm going, but he just gets all these really religious people in a room and he says, let's bring out some old written stuff and talk about really old ideas and figure out where this baby's born. And so all the really smart, religious, well-educated people get out their scrolls and dig through and things, and then they say, it's Bethlehem in Judah, Micah chapter 5 is what they called it, Micah 5 is what we call it. So they get it out, they're like, it's Bethlehem there are always plenty of religious people who will say, this is the thing to do. But they make a classic mistake. They fail to act. They dig through all that. They get the knowledge. They go, Bethlehem, five miles away. That's where he is. And then it's like they go out to lunch or something or just exit, you know, the scene. Like they just, they're just not in the scriptures anymore. (laughs) It's like, where'd they go? What'd they do? I wish I, I I mean, like, I just kind of wonder, like, how do you get that obvious about what's going on? And then just like, Head on home, like, you know, what what were they doing? Together, Herod and these religious experts, they squeezed religion for all it was worth, and they got nothing out of it. They found all these facts, but they found no faith. They found no action. They found no trust. They didn't do anything with it. The Magi, though, experienced the faith, and they acted on it, and they went somewhere, and they did something about it. There was action to match their understanding because the Bible says about itself that the word of God is alive and active. So when you hear it, you act, you respond, it stirs you up. The fruits of the Holy Spirit are goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and several other things. They come out, there's growth, there's life, there's response. I think these magi did the right thing and I encourage you from their example, choose your traveling companions wisely. Are you sitting around with people who would just like really getting a lot of talk, man? Big words. Whew, we are really doing some heavy lifting in here. Where is it's Bethlehem? All right, guys, let's go. It's time for lunch. <laughs> Set back to our same old, same old life. See you later. Figured that religious, academic, head knowledge got it nailed. All right, let's go. We're done. Choose your traveling companions wisely. Who's actually going somewhere? Who's actually living out the faith? Now, the Magi's search for God, we have to be honest about this. The Magi's search for God led them into danger. This guy, Herod's a madman. Like, he's a total, he's just crazy. But the God that they were seeking, who led them into Jerusalem and set, I mean, the star went there. Like, they're following the star. The star is from God. They're following it. This leads them into Jerusalem right under the nose of Herod right into this danger because now they're on the hook he said like go there make a careful search come back to me they've got to figure this out and theoretically they're supposed to come back to him but god knows how to lead them from danger to safety the god who personally cared for them said i'll send you a star i'll send you a dream i'll connect you to people who know my word like this this god is active despite their danger he was aware of their dangers he knew herod better than they did they may not have really known what they were dealing with But he cared about these magi, and he cares about you when you get into your own life situations. And Matthew 2 gives us some guardrails, I call it, that I just kind of want to put out there for you. The first guardrail is this. All of these spiritual experiences, I'm talking about stars, I'm talking about dreams, they guide these magi to worship Jesus. Like These are subjective experiences. They're very personal. Theoretically, the star was visible to a lot of people. The dream was probably super private, just in the hearts and minds of the magi. But in both cases, it's, it's leading them to worship Jesus. It's leading them to obey God, to walk the way God wants them to. So it's subjective, but it's pointed somewhere. It's not just, you know, whatever. It's not self-fulfillment or, like, you know, better, like, salary and lots of money. It's not 500,000 Instagram followers. Like, it's Jesus. You know, it's leading them to Jesus, to trust Jesus, to worship Jesus. Another guardrail that we want to mention That's really important here is scripture. It took me a second to get this because I'm always thinking about the star. I don't know about you, but I hear this story frequently and I'm thinking about the star. And it leaves me wondering, you know, like what was the star and was the star invisible during the day because all the other stars are invisible during the day. So my brain's kind of stuck on the star, but it hit me when the star could only take them so far, scripture was right there. Yes, it was in the hands of people who, who just kind of talked about it and then went back home, but the Scripture was this essential need in their lives that God supplied alongside their subjective experience was the Word of God, the Scriptures, to say, you can't figure out where to go to find the baby Jesus. You, you kind of have got this, this idea of you're following the star, you're going to find the king to worship him, you're seeking him, but they got as far as they could go, and then the Word of God was there. I've had encounters with God that were just for me, personal subjective you know private whatever you want to call it like those are just for me but i've also had moments with the community of faith around the scriptures where i say wow i needed to hear that i couldn't get that on my own it, i wasn't f- hearing everything thinking everything figuring out everything the scriptures did more for me you would think that magi who could follow the star for hundreds of miles could have just made it 5 more miles too <laughs> like you'd think like well i don't really get why the stars over the city it's just 5 miles but they but i think My my conjecture is they were led into Jerusalem partially so that they would encounter people who had the scriptures, so that they would encounter God's word, because they're from another place. They're not Jews who already had the scriptures. So I think God wanted them to get connected into his word and hear the scriptures and realize that subjective experiences were not everything. A subjective experience needs the counsel of scripture. When the two come together, the magi take their gold and their frankincense and myrrh, and they bow down at the feet of Jesus. They find grace at the foot of the baby king. But the people who have the word and no spirit, well, they just keep on going in the same old direction. Never really gets them anywhere. It ends in darkness, really. It's this journey that just doesn't end well. And, and you can talk about spiritual experiences or religious activities, but the works of God lead the magi to Jesus. Jesus. We talk about this kind of thing, and it, it, it leads them to faith. It leads them to worship. It leads them to new activities as part of a community of people who know God. There's Gentiles. There's Jews. They've left whatever they've known, whatever their habits were, and they're, they're living like Abraham lived, really setting out for a new country, trusting God, following him. They're listening to God's voice, and they're on a journey. And that journey takes them out of their life. It takes them out of their habits, out of what they've trusted in, their usual activities. And it takes their subjective spiritual experiences, and it adds reliable scriptures into the mix, these two directions for them. And with these two resources right in front of them, they find Christ, and they worship him, and they trust him. Now, this can seem a little wild to us, because you're probably thinking at this point about the gifts. You know, they find Christ, they worship him. But when we come to him, does it create rejoicing? Would it spark the kind of sacrificial devotion to just lay out incredibly valuable gifts? You can dodge this question by saying, hey, I've seen newborns before. They don't need frankincense. And some of you are quick to say maybe you are like ancient and, you know, J- Jewish experts or Middle Eastern experts. You're like, actually, frankincense is very useful for you can save that for like work trivia parties or something. I just think it's weird to show up and give a baby. Like today, we're like pretty clear on it. Like stroller, diapers, (laughs) bottle, baby wipes. Like we've got this down. It's 2023. We want to feed it, clean up after it, and do it all again, you know? And then like sleep. So sleep, sleep, like gold, frankincense, myrrh. Like we don't know what you're supposed to do with these things. These are not things you give a baby. But for the magi... It's priceless to be able to worship Christ, and they bring great gifts. And there's all sorts of research we could talk about if we had more time, why they bring these things, how they get used, all of the rest of that. I'm just saying if you want to splurge on a baby today, you get them like that, that custom photo package with like a professional photographer. You know, these magi are showing up, giving priceless things from their culture and their day and time, but it's totally impractical. Like moms don't want it, dads don't want it. It's totally impractical but it is worship with the priciest, most costly, most wonderful things that are completely impractical, and that is worship. That is worship, to show up and say, I'm going to give the most priceless things I have to the one who paid a great price for me, who took on flesh, became a human being, died for my sins. I'm going to worship him, and it's not going to be practical, but it's going to reflect the value of the baby king. They don't want to meet needs. They don't want to be practical. They don't want to make sense. They didn't travel hundreds of miles for that. They're fired by love. They realize the king of the Jews is here, and he's given his life for me. They've got this unnecessary radical generosity because they realize how much they're loved and how much they loved Christ in return. And when they do this, guess what? they find out we're not just worshiping this baby king. This baby king has connected us into the family of God. We now have a father who cares about us. They've spent this whole scripture seeking the king of the Jews, which is a great motivation and exactly the right thing to do. They're, They're seeking him all this way. And when they find him, they find out that it's just this little crack that they went through, and suddenly their desire has been satisfied and more by a father who loves them and cares for them and by a family that welcomes them in. And all of this is just five miles away from Jerusalem with a bunch of people who read but did nothing, and another guy who's troubled and all bent out of shape and going about to go crazy. It's at this point when they find out that they have a good father who cares for them, and when you find out that you have a good father who cares for you, for them, they get this dream. It says, stay away from Herod. That's all we get. Sorry, I can't help you more. It's all the scriptures tell us. They get a dream. It's a warning. Stay away from Herod. They go home another way. Who wouldn't want the subjective help of God, your heavenly father, who perfectly knows what you need to do and says, do this, do this, do this, do this. They've got scripture in their life, but at some moment, God is like, I've got something just for you. Who wouldn't want that message from God? And God the father, see, he does what he always does, which is speak to his children about what they need to hear in that moment what they need to hear. might be only for them. He spoke to his children. He led them out of the danger of their moment, and they listened. And the thing about the dream that's great, the advantage of the dream over the star, in a sense, is that it's personal and it's private, which matters because, remember, Herod's a madman. Like he said, oh, I want to worship him too, but we all know that's like a lie, right, like that's this trick. If you can't say, oh, yeah, I want to worship him too, well, five miles is too far to go, You know, I don't really know how to find a baby. Scholars who study this would say that this city at the time was a tiny little city. It's so small that in the book of Nehemiah, which we did earlier in the year, Bethlehem doesn't even get mentioned. It had so few people that when Nehemiah is rebuilding the whole country of Israel and there's this, the walls getting built and all that stuff, he doesn't even name Bethlehem. So we don't know how many people are there, but it's not a big enough place to justify naming. So how hard can it be to find a newborn there? must just be that Herod didn't care, right? But God is a good, good father. He cares for those who worship Jesus. He knows their dangers. He gets involved in their life. He knows their heart, and he keeps helping these magi. He was helping them when they didn't know him. You know, they're just following a star. They don't know him. They don't have the scriptures. They're just following the star. They've pieced things together. They know there's something. They're moving toward him, but they don't know it totally. And then he was helping them with the scriptures, and then he was helping them with the dream God cares for those who worship his son. God the Father is growing his family. He cares for his family. He guides his family. So what is it that really divides the magi from the masses? I mean, what really is it that enables them to keep moving forward, to keep having these experiences while everybody else is just checking out, just reading the stuff and moving on? Well, I think it's this. Disruption is always part of discipleship. If you're following Jesus, he will sometimes disrupt you. The arrival of the Christ child incarnated an eternal fact. God is king, and you aren't, and I'm not, and he is king. We don't get to be the ruler, to borrow the words of Micah 5. How do you respond to God's disruption? Do you take the trip he sends you on? Do you receive the subjective guidance? Do you receive the scriptural guidance? Do you listen to the warnings? The challenge for you and for me is to trust God and to rejoice in his leadership, even when we're like, hey, this is disrupting everything. <laughs> I wanted Jesus, but I'm not sure that I wanted to run into the madman king. I wanted Jesus, but I'm not sure I wanted to travel hundreds of miles to do it. I wanted Jesus, but I'm not sure I wanted to give up the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh you know, that are completely ridiculous for a newborn child like he has no use for these things. Why couldn't we have just done some food or something kind of affordable and practical? Are you threatened by Christ or are you disrupted by him? Herod was threatened by him, the Magi were disrupted by him, and it makes all the difference. I spoke last week of three ways of life. You might some of you might have heard me say this on Christmas Eve, but you know, there's, there's sort of language in our culture that people are spiritual but not religious, which implies that there's people who are religious but not spiritual. Last Sunday we looked at Simeon and realized, "Oh, Simeon's spiritual and religious. He's in the temple, But he's listening to the Holy Spirit, who's speaking to him personally, and this morning again, these magi, they're kind of the spiritual but not religious crowd until they get to Jerusalem, and suddenly, I mean, they're kind of like the religious crowd, because they're listening to the scriptures, and they're around the religious experts, but they take the best of it, and they keep going on their journey to find Jesus. For almost every person on the planet, I should say too, I recognize there are people who are probably would say, I'm not spiritual or religious. Like I have zero interest in either sort of component of life that's not even part of my framework. And there there are some of those people I realize as well. But I think for almost every person on the planet, there's at least a little bit of spiritual stuff going on, a little bit of religious stuff going on. It's kind of in there for all of us, almost all of us. We have attitudes and habits and things, and you got a, and and even if you got mostly you feel religious, you probably got a little bit of spirituality in you. I'm thinking of how like you go to the beach and you see the sunrise and you just or sunset if you're not a morning owl, you know you just you're just like man that sunset or that sunrise is incredible, and something in you is just a little bit conscious that that, that life has some beauty or some meaning or some purpose. On the, you know, some of you, it's just like you, you get a hug and you just feel a degree of warmth. All of us are a little different, but something moves you. Even the most religious person can get moved by some of these things. At the same time, spiritual people can find themselves saying, I really like hearing songs sung or scriptures read or, or just being in a sacred space. They, they're at the hospital, but they want to go find the chapel or wherever that might be. There's something that draws them to it. And people can justify themselves by shaping their own religious and spiritual values. They can find all kinds of ways to say, I'm taken care of, I'm good, I made myself right, because I'm into the spiritual stuff, or I'm into the religious stuff, and they look for self-justification. And a lot of this, honestly, can just be philosophical duct tape. Just like imagine duct tape like wrapped around all these kind of ideas, and like if I stick the duct tape to enough stuff and pull it together and wrap it in just the right shape, I've got like this coherent sort of workable way of life. And you do all this stuff just the right way, whether it's religious stuff or spiritual stuff, and you end up with a light of revelation. You end up with glory. That's how Simeon talked about it in Luke chapter 2. He said, I've seen the baby Christ, which is the light of revelation and for the Gentiles, and the glory of Israel. And a lot of times today, whether, whatever we're kind of doing, we're like finding ways to get light that illuminates our lives, and we're finding ways to get glory by patching together all of this stuff. But when Simeon saw the baby in the Jewish temple, he just gasped with faith and said, today I have seen salvation. Today God has kept his promises. And one of the things he said is that that child born was the light of revelation to the Gentiles. And today in Matthew chapter 2, those Gentiles show up saying, we're looking for the king of the Jews. They said, you know, we've got this star, we've come to worship him. Now, they're more spiritual than religious. When they showed up in Jerusalem, which was a very religious city, they didn't play by the religious rules. There are like certain ceremonial baths you'd have to cleanse yourself in. You have to bring animal sacrifices. They didn't do any of those things, as near as we can know. But they had God's help to find Christ, even apart from all that stuff. God was helping them within their own culture, working in their own kind of mental framework and how they saw the world. God's working. And that's why the Magi find their way to Christ's country and eventually the baby king himself. Now, what do you have questions about? However you kind of navigate all this stuff I'm talking about, you probably have some questions. Is it more subjective things that you need God to get involved in and sort of guide you in? Is it more scriptural type things that you need to speak of? What are the unanswered questions? Where in your life could scripture clarify some of what you don't know? Because, see, the Magi's efforts didn't bring them all the way. They had God's help, and they needed more of it, and more of it, and more of it, and more of it. And he kept supplying it. He kept supplying it. He kept supplying it because he cares for his children. He wants them to find his son. He wants them to be part of the family. They couldn't do that without help from his word. They couldn't do it without help from his people. I haven't exactly been friendly to these people. If they were here, they'd be like, man, I'm never going back to that church again. That guy talked bad about us, you know, from the pulpit. I do take issue with the fact that they knew the information and then just went on home. But even as kind of messed up as that is, they still helped somebody else out on their journey. And it leaves us to another opportunity to apply Scripture in our own lives. Would we maybe help some people out even if we don't have like our stuff together? And if we don't kind of have our stuff together, could there be some people in the community of faith who might know a scripture that we need to hear, or might have some wisdom that we need to hear, even if, quite honestly, we're a little like, man, I wish it didn't have to come from that person. Does it have to be from them? Like, couldn't it be from, you know, right? Couldn't it be from AI? Like, couldn't I just get an app on my phone and that, you know, no. God set it up. He wants it to be his people. He wants it to come from his people. He wants it to come from his word. I think you, by the way, are a a pretty great group of people who would probably say, hey, Old scripture says it's going to be in Bethlehem. It's only five miles. Let's go check it out. Let's go see what happens. These magi showed up in our world. We'll go with them. We'll worship the king. Let's go figure it out. I think you would. And when you come to him, when you continue on that journey that many of you have already done, are you confident he'll lead you? Now, I don't know the heart of the magi. I don't know the heart of the people who shared Micah 5 with the magi. But I see the hand of God. And I see that the Magi would listen to God, and they wouldn't listen to Herod in the end. They made a fundamental choice. We'll let God disrupt our life, but we won't let Herod disrupt our life. The Bible says that they heard God, and they went on their way. And later in verse 12, it says, look, they heard God, and they listened to his warning. Do you listen to God? Can you accept his warnings? There's this spiritual adoption here, like I said before. They go seeking Christ and find out that Christ's been seeking them. They go looking to worship and become much more than just worshipers. They become part of a new family where God says, Hey, I care about you, and I've been guiding you for hundreds of miles. You didn't know it, but this thing is way bigger than you realize and way better than you realize. Come on in. By the way, this bad dude's got you know bad plans for you. Just Here's a dream. Y'all go home another way, all right? <laughs> Take 6A on the way home. Huh? It's going to be bad for you. God shepherds them through these warnings. He prepares a table before them in the presence of their enemies. He leads them beside still waters. We're going to be going through Psalm 23 for several weeks here, studying one verse at a time, just looking at this idea that God is a shepherd. Most of you know Psalm 23, so I bring it up. But these magi had no idea, but Psalm 23 can help us think, are we letting him lead our lives? Are we letting him be the shepherd? What's that look like for us? Here in Matthew 2, Scripture talks about a shepherd for the people. Micah 5 talks about a ruler. But the only people who go to Christ at this point in this chapter are Gentiles. Herod doesn't go. The people who knew the scriptures don't go. The chief priests, the scribes, they don't go. But when the Magi go, they find out what kind of shepherd he is. They find out that he's a shepherd worthy of worship. And they find out that he's a shepherd who leads their lives. They experience the shepherding of God. This powerful, careful, particular attention to their circumstances. You remember that the shepherds, speaking of shepherds, you remember that the the ones who in Luke 2 are out in the fields with their animals and they go to the birth of Christ and they're there the night he was born and they're singing and they're rejoicing and their lives are totally changed and it's just this amazing moment, right? We love to have hymns about it. We love to remember it every year. But you also remember that they just went back to the fields when it was done. We don't know how long they stayed at the manger. We don't know how long they sang. We don't know how kind of excited and happy and all that, that they were at some point, you know, I guess every worship service has to end and they go on back to the field and they're back out in the field. And that's just the thing that the Magi do too. They eventually go back. They got out of their habits. They got out of their routines. They went on this huge journey, had to stop in Jerusalem because they were kind of lost and get things figured out and then get back on their journey and get where they were going. But they, they do return. They go back. They believe they worship and they go back. Does your arrival spark joy and worship and direction as you keep encountering Christ? It did for the Magi. They rejoiced when they saw the Christ child, and they worshiped, and they believed, and God led their lives, and they had a deeper relationship with him, and then they went home. And when that needed to happen along the way, well, guess what? God supplied them with direction and leadership and love, and he took care of them. They heard Herod, you know, with their ears, but they listened to God in their hearts. They heard religious experts who knew about Bethlehem, who knew about the facts, who squeezed it all down, and then were like, okay, no faith, though, see you later. But they had faith, and they went. They worshiped, they rejoiced. And when you arrive in Christ's presence through prayer and Bible study and worship and fellowship, you can have joy and worship and direction. It may be that not all who wander are lost, but it's certainly true that not all who wander worship. Christ invites you to do more than wander. And he even invites you to do more than just worship in and of itself. He invites you into the family. He says, let the Father lead your life. Find out what a good shepherd I am. I've got things to tell you. I've got things you need to hear. Let me be your joy. Let me be your direction. Come and worship me. I know most of you are looking for a reason to stay up really late tonight. So... I was going to end the sermon right there because it feels like such a good way to do it, but I'm actually going to keep going for like 45 more minutes. This is like nap time for you because you need the nap now so that you can stay up till like 12.03 p.m., right, or 12.03 a.m., right? So this is the part. This is the nap moment, so settle in. I'm going to keep preaching for like the three of you, but the rest of you, it's nap time, so that's good. Just kidding. I'm going to close with this. I'm going to read you Isaiah 60. This is another one of those scriptures that really religious people would have known. And it has like the writing on the wall, and everybody missed it. But as you leave today, you have a chance to not miss it. You have a chance to glimpse the greatness of Christ. And when you listen along, you'll notice the magi, the worship, the birth of Christ. It's all in here. And this is God's word to you as we go. Isaiah chapter 60 starts out, Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will appear on you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Raise your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons will come from afar and your daughters will be carried on the hip. Then you will see and be radiant, and your heart will thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea will be turned to you. The wealth of the nations will come to you. A multitude of camels will cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba will come. They will bring gold and frankincense and proclaim the good news of the Lord. You have heard that today. Thanks be to God.